Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Evolution Podcast, where we question what makes our life truly ours. I'm Shereen Jaffer, and I'm very excited to introduce you to some incredible people with fascinating stories. I've got my dear friend, Trish, that I've known for quite some time um, from just working together, volunteering together in so many different ways. Uh, Trish, it's great to have you. Thank you for having me, Shereen. This is so exciting. I'm so happy that you have me on your podcast. This is awesome. Of course. My pleasure. I I feel like we've known each other now for probably seven or so years. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've known you so long that I feel like time doesn't even matter anymore. What is time? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Because it would be more. Uh, Trish has a... A really interesting story because I, over the years, she's spoken on so many panels with me uh, where we shared her background, how she got to where she is today uh, with a ton of students and recent grads. And I've always been able to hear some different element of her story, which just makes her who she is um, in such a beautiful way. So very excited to share her story with all of you today. Uh, Trish, I know one of the nicknames you had for a long time, I don't know if people still call you this, but Hollywood. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, there's still like a couple of people that call me Hollywood, which I don't mind. Um, <laughs> but I'll, tell, us, I'll tell you the tell story. story yeah. yeah, so basically, I grew up in Hollywood, Florida, um, which a lot of people don't know. It's a small city in between Miami and Fort Lauderdale. And um, I and when I moved to L.A., I was living in North Hollywood and worked in Hollywood. So um, one of my friends actually started calling me Hollywood because they thought it was cute, obviously. Um, <laughs> so um, and then I had this thing where I would like wear my shades and everything like that, as you do in L.A., and um, it just kind of stuck for a little bit, you know, and they everybody yeah. just thought it was funny. And it was just like, hey, Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood. Hollywood's here, you know. Um. Awesome. Well, it's not a bad nickname. I, I know you mentioned this. You drove from Hollywood, Florida to Hollywood, California during a time in your career where uh, that was not what you were advised to do. Um, you got a completely opposite set of advice. So tell us more about that move. Yeah, of course. So I initially um, thought I was going to be uh, on-camera talent or a reporter, if you will. Um, so I studied broadcast journalism at Florida a and University. And, you know, I thought this is what I want to do for sure. You know, I was really good at, at writing and I was really good at presenting on camera. And um, I was like ready to do it. You know, in my mind... I thought that I was basically going to come out of college and just, you know, be on CNN or something right away, you know. Um, but that wasn't the case. Um, and one of my professors was telling me that, you know, how you start off, you got to start in a small town, you know, like the 200 and something market or whatever that no one's ever heard of. And you're probably going to be, you know, covering, you know, PTA meetings and um, farm stories and everything like that. So really, really small towns, um, you know, that you probably never heard of. 
And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I don't, mm, I don't know about that. Um, that didn't sound exciting to me at all. Um, so for me, I was just sort of like, well, what is it that I really want to do and what did I enjoy? And at the time, I was a huge fan of pop culture and consumed everything entertainment and fun. And I knew everything about celebrities and music. And I was like, I want to work in entertainment. Um, I wonder if I can be on camera in, um, in the entertainment field. But at the time, I wasn't sure how to get it done or what to do. Um, I was in Atlanta for a little bit, um, not long because my parents had moved there while I was still in school. So I went home and, you know, after having some conversations with, um, different like professors and everything, um, there was one of my friends, actually, she was pretty cool. She had an internship at ESPN and I thought she was just like the coolest. And I was just like, oh my God, how did you get that internship? You know, and because she was a huge fan of sports and she was like, oh, you know, I talked to this one person and they gave me really great advice. And I asked them if I could talk to them. Uh, this person had been in the industry a long time, albeit in sports for some time, but they knew the business. They had lived in New York and everything like that. And so I was fortunate enough to talk to this person and and I told them what I wanted to do. And they said, well, you know, you either need to be in New York or LA if that's what you want to do. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I decided for me that LA was the best bet because the weather was closest to Florida. And I was like, yeah, LA, it's like on the other side of the country. It seems so cool. Everything I saw on TV at the time about LA, just everyone seemed really down to earth. They were wearing shorts all the time and life just seemed fun, you know? So <laughs> I was like, yeah, I want that lifestyle. So they told me, they were like, Hey, don't go out there without a car. Do not do it. So I stayed in Atlanta for about three months and worked a temp job to save up some money for a down payment for a car. I wanted to get a brand new one because I didn't want to take like, you know, something old. So I stayed and that was my whole goal was saving money to get a car. And I ended up saving up like $1,500 from like my temp job. And I got a car and then I would say probably within the next two weeks, like I packed up my car. I didn't have much. I asked one of my friends who loves adventure as much as I do. And I was like, you got to ride with me. And she was like, yeah, this is going to be so much fun. So she hopped in the car. How did your parents feel about this? You know, my parents are, they're conservative, but supportive. You know, they were like, well, we don't want you living that far. But I mean, obviously, you know, we want you to be happy and we know this is what you're interested in. But can't you find something here in maybe Georgia or Florida? And I'm like, no, it's got to be LA. That's like entertainment capital. Like, that's where I want to be. And you know, and I was like, I watch E all the time. Like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So they weren't thrilled about it. Um, and obviously sad, but you know, they knew they couldn't stop me. Once I've get, got something in my mind, it was a wrap. I'm doing it. So was that, is that how, excuse me, is that how you grew up? Is that, are those the traits that you showed all throughout your childhood? 
Yes, pretty much. Um, you know, I come from a pretty big family. I have four brothers and one sister, and I was the second. So I, you know, spent a lot of time like helping my family raise my siblings. And so I didn't go out a lot. Like I didn't have like that traditional high school like experience and all that where you got to go to parties and people had like, you know, things that they would do with friends on the weekends. Like my job was babysitting my siblings. So anytime I need to go anywhere, my parents were like, yeah, you're not doing that. Um, (laughs) And I was like, great. So a lot of my time was spent like either babysitting, reading, um, and prepping for that next stage in my life. Um, and my parents just were, they just kind of let me do my own thing. I was a good kid, you know, the good girl. So they didn't have to worry about me. So I think it was part of that. It wasn't like, you know, I was sort of like this kid that they kind of always had to constantly wrangle. Um, I had a good head on my shoulders at a very young age. So I think once I finished college, I think, I don't think they were surprised that I wanted to leave, but they just weren't happy about it because they could no longer control the situation because I was over 18. Right. Uh, (laughs) And it's interesting to me that you, I mean, you got, I think advice, taking advice from people, um, going back to your advice from your professor and then your advice from the you know person in the industry that your friend connected you to. Right. I always tell people it is so important to take everyone's advice um like you know as it's a grain of salt because it comes down to whether it applies to you or not. And I remember I totally align with your story about your professor because when I was in school uh, you know this, you know, I started my last company when I was 19. And I, at the time, obviously, it wasn't a company. And I remember going to my professor, who um, was my humanities teacher or professor. And she I had classes with her every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And the way it worked at USC was Tuesdays and Thursdays are your big lecture days. They're two hours long. And then Friday, you have a 50-minute discussion uh, every week. So I realized because Skillify was both in Northern California and Southern California, mm-hmm. one Friday out of the month, I would need to be in Northern California for, for meetings. And I go up to my professor and I say, you know, I tell her what I'm doing. I, I, Trish knows this everyone because she was such an incredible mentor at, at Skillify, but Skillify was helping high school students uh, find internships and connect with mentors and really explore their interests. So I would like to say that's very socially good work. <laughs> Thanks. I, I go up to my professor and I tell her this and I tell her I'll have to miss discussions once a month and I would love to know how I can make it up. And I brought my ideas to the table to really show that I'm not taking her class lightly by any means. And she straight up laughed in my face Mm -hmm. and said, college is not for starting businesses. College is for learning. And then you get a job. And then when you have enough money, you start a business. Right. And mind you, this was what, 2012? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was not that long ago. And it was definitely during a time where, you know, this whole college dropouts or entrepreneurship in college. Heck, USC even had an entrepreneurship program for undergraduates. So her advice was totally uh, misguided. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people 
fortunately, I had so many mentors um, that that showed me that advice wasn't right for me. But I think a lot of people, when they get advice from you know people that they are told are quote unquote authority, um, it's or- really important to recognize advice is just advice and you have to know whether it aligns with you or not. So I'm very happy that you were able to recognize that when you first got the advice around, you know, where you should move and how to really get your foot in the door. Yeah, thank you. Um and and I I think it's the same for you as well, you know, is knowing which advice to take is very key. Um but what I've noticed though is that, you know, sometimes you don't know you know, you don't know who to listen to. How do you know what's good advice and what's not good advice? You know, um, I mean, I still ask myself that every day, actually. Um, but, you know, what I do is I run on my gut, you know, and I would suggest to everybody is that that feeling that you get that says this is the direction that I need to go. That's the correct one, you know, to listen to. Um, because in a world, there's a world here now where we're getting information from everywhere, right? We're getting information from our family, friends, social media, you know, work, that sort of thing. So sometimes it's hard to decipher, like, which direction should I go? Like, what makes sense, you know? And if you're young and getting started, and you don't really have like that sort of compass quite yet, um, I would definitely suggest kind of going with your gut. I, and that's what I did because I knew what was going to make me happy. I knew that, you know, going to a small town wasn't going to work for me. I love big cities. Um, I love entertainment. And if that wasn't really happening, I was probably, I would have probably gone to some small town and just peaced out after like a month, you know, with like no explanation, like I gotta go. You know, I think there's so much value in recognizing you know yourself best. True. And I think a lot of people say, unfortunately, you know, don't follow your gut instinct and use your logic. And I think it's a balance. I think mm-hmm. you know yourself best. I know so many times in my life I've had this overwhelming sense of this is absolutely not what I need to be doing. I am so in the wrong place or the opposite this is exactly where I need to be. A lot of what I feel recently, which I'm very, very proud of. So I, I do, I do agree. I think, yes, use that gut instinct. Um, if you feel like you need to validate it through logic, sure, go ahead and do that, but it's not one or the other. And I think we're definitely as a society kind of become very, um, you know, it's, it's mutually exclusive. It's one or the other. And I just don't think that's it. Yeah. I I totally agree. I feel like too that we as a society is definitely sort of moving into uh the space where self-awareness has become much more important. And I think in the age of our technology, you know, obviously it's been a great thing, especially now during social distance and everything like that. But it's in those quiet moments that we have to sort of kind of own that skill of listening to that inner voice and knowing what's best for us, you know? So um, I'm loving it right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely an important moment. I know a lot of people are struggling and I know a lot of people are suffering and Mm -hmm. that does not feel good by any means. I do believe though, there is also an opportunity here to take a minute 
Yeah. And I think a lot of people are, and they're, they're realizing, uh, wow, I don't necessarily like the way my life feels. Mm. Uh, this, this quote was going around on social media, but I, you know, I do agree with it. I think there's this, I don't agree with much on social media, but I do. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> uh, it said, you know, I think a lot of people are beginning to recognize it's not about how your life looks. It's about how your life feels. Mm. That's a good one. It's, it's true. You know, I think mm. people are realizing, wow, I'm in my home and maybe I don't like the people in my home, whether it's a roommate, whether it's a partner, whether frankly, it's your family, um, or they realize, wow, I appreciate this so much more. And I feel like I don't spend enough time nurturing these relationships, but they're so valuable and I actually enjoy my time. So it's that self-awareness is definitely almost being forced on a lot of people right now. Um, and I'm not a big fan of forcing anything, um, but I do recognize this is an opportunity here for just people to sit with themselves and see what's important to them and what's not. Exactly. No, I completely agree. I've been doing a lot of that myself. And, you know, it's not easy to sit with yourself. You know, <laughs> um, it's you're looking at a mirror of yourself um, on a day to day basis during this time. And sometimes the things that you're seeing aren't easy or the things that you have been doing for a while, you realize, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing that, you know. So I've been definitely enjoying this time where I've had more time to be still and not feel the need to be everywhere all the time. Um, it's been really, really great for me, honestly. I, well, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Speaking of sitting with yourself and mm -hmm. realizing what you do and do not like, um, you have had an incredible, incredibly competitive career, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you've worked in an industry that is known to be ruthless, that is known to be you know, go, go, go. You must perform at your highest level or, or even higher than that. So tell us a little bit more about the type of work you've done, just so our listeners have some context. And then what I really want to get into is, you know, in, in that industry, in this lavish, glamorous industry, were there moments where you felt, oh no, this, this is not, this is not me. This isn't, this isn't what makes me, me. I would love to know more there. Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, my career started off, um, I started off as a PA at uh, E! Entertainment um, in live events. Um, I stayed at E! little over a year and went off into being a freelancer. Um, and a lot of it at the time was doing a lot of red carpets. Uh, so I was going to movie premieres and they needed people who could just ask celebrities questions and they needed people who you could know. write. I, I, I was leading a very glamorous life on the weekends because most junkets were at the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills. Um, and I wasn't making a lot of money. So you got provided lunch and they had the most amazing cookies there. Uh, <laughs> so for me, I was like, yeah, I'm cool with spending all weekend at the four seasons. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, and you know, it was a world that I was good at, you know, I was really, really good at it. I knew how to sort of navigate the world of 
publicists and managers and really sort of talk to those people because they're the gatekeepers. You know, you're not going to talk to Julia Roberts unless you are actually have a relationship with her manager, you know, or her publicist. You're not going to talk to Halle Berry unless you have a relationship with that person. So I really learned how to build relationships in that world because they were key to my job. I've been to some of the biggest premieres in the world. I've been to some of the biggest stars in the world, their homes and interviewed them and sat down on their couch and talked to their kids. And, you know, it was really, really fun. But I got to a point in my career, it was just kind of like, what else is there? You know, um, I have literally talked to every famous person. I know people. I all my friends worked in the business. We consumed entertainment. We talked about celebrities. I watched entertainment. It was just an overload. And um, I was very fortunate at the time that I was at CNN and they were having a volunteer day, but I couldn't go. They were having a volunteer at the downtown women's center in LA, which helps homeless, um, homeless women experiencing homelessness get back on their feet. So, but I couldn't go that day because I was on a shoot. So I asked, I was like, well, Hey, I still want to volunteer. Is there a way that I can still get involved? They gave me the information and I called and, um, was able to do an orientation, uh, within two weeks of that call. And then I ended up volunteering at their not-for-profit uh, store called Made by DWC um, for about five plus years. And for me at the time, I was like, this, this is good. This feels good. The fact that I'm giving back, um, I volunteered there every Saturday, every other Saturday. And um, it was just something that was so fulfilling. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about, you know, somebody wanting something from you. It was really for me something that personally like made my spirit feel good. And I was like, wow, this is really, really good. Like, you know, I spent so much time thinking about, you know, my next job or the world of celebrities that I sort of forgot that there are people in this world who don't have everything, you know, or have nothing. And how can I be of support to them? Um, And if it's just about, you know, working at a store for no payment or, you know, promoting uh, the store and telling people, hey, you can donate clothes, all the proceeds go back to helping women. Um, If that's the smallest thing that I can do, then sign me up, you know. Um, And I made some really great friends there. And I had the opportunity to listen to some of the women who had gone through some of the worst times in their lives. And for some of them, we're still going through and they were just trying to get back on their feet. And what's interesting is that, you know, our society sort of makes you think or, and then it's not absolute, obviously, but it makes you think that, you know, people who are homeless, the reason why they're that, that happened to them is, you know, oh, they don't want to get a job or, oh, you know, they don't want to um, put in the work, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but that's not the case. You know, what I found a lot of people, it's just, I mean, for everybody's story is different, obviously, you know, a string of bad luck, you know, um, I remember one woman who, you know, said that she was trying to escape an abusive um, boyfriend and, you know, didn't have family to fall back on. And, um, you know, I spoke to another woman who 
lost her job, got sick, and couldn't afford to pay her medical bills. And next thing you know, she couldn't afford her apartment, and then she was evicted. And so it's like this domino effect. Um, And sometimes, sure, sometimes, you know, there are drugs involved and people who become addicts and everything like that. But I was was very moved by hearing a lot of those women's stories. And it changed me for the better. Yeah, I I think it's so true that most like things are reduced in our society in a way. Um, You know, I, I, so at Skillify, I would go and talk to hundreds of thousands of students right over the years. Mm -hmm. And one of the first questions when we would do these presentations in their classes, Mm -hmm. we would ask is, you know, why, why do you feel like people don't get their dream job? Why do you people don't get a job that meets their meets their lifestyle requirements. And the first answer that we would get from again hundreds of thousands of these students was they don't work hard enough. And I don't know where this comes from where we've been our kids believe and many adults believe that in order to have a good job working hard is will guarantee that. And if you're not working hard, that is the reason why you're in really terrible situations. And it's, it's, there's so many more variables than that. Absolutely. Back to this, you know, reductionist mindset where there, there's more complexity to this. uh, And I don't think people can, I don't think we can really understand until we're willing to understand, until we're willing to listen and talk and discuss and empathize. Mm -hmm. And I think that unfortunately is lost because we've, the way our, even our education system works, it's really about competing. It's about focusing on yourself and your grades and your test scores. And you really become kind of stuck in your own world. And you don't get that exposure uh, to other perspectives. And that's where I also feel like, you know, it's, it's so important to have diversity around. It's so important to have, uh, have our kids, especially in schools, um, going out into the real world and experiencing and immersing uh, and not being in a classroom where they're usually around people that are like them. Um, they live in the community they probably have the same type of socioeconomic level it's it's really easy to feel like that's your world and that's the only thing in this world yeah yeah i agree i mean i think that you know my time there and i and i still am a part of made by dwc because there's two locations for the downtown women's center um in downtown la uh there's one the there's the main location which is the biggest location on san pedro um, right in the heart of Skid Row. And then there's another location on Los Angeles Street, which was the original downtown women's center. Um, it's smaller, but it's right next to the store. So my, uh, for a long time, my job was to walk between those two locations because I was pulling clothes from the store going back to the location and also grabbing clothes that people were donating at the bigger location. So I had to learn really quick how to get over my fear. Um, It's Skid Row. So, you know, for those of people who don't know what Skid Row is, it is, you know, it's 
it's a lot of homelessness that is in that one small area. It's not the cleanest. It's not the nicest. It's just people everywhere. There. And when I'm in downtown LA, especially in that area, there is no fear for me, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, obviously I'm down there at night or whatever, but um, when you have sort of put in your mind that you're there to help, it takes away a lot of that fear. Um, and I try to treat everyone with respect and everybody kindly. And I wouldn't have probably been able to do that unless I had those experiences with the downtown women's center, never in a million years. Um, yeah. you know, because it's just given me another perspective, a new perspective on how to see people. Perspective is key in my opinion. Yeah. I think it, you're, you like so for example i feel like this just the value of perspective can be applied to so many different things um mm-hmm. obviously helping people and being empathetic of situations and recognizing what's really going on that's so important i think it's really easy to just see what's there on the surface and mm-hmm. do a quick judgment call and and it's often not representative of the truth and what's actually going on so absolutely perspective helps there mm-hmm. i think Another thing perspective helps is with is just learning that honestly, no one really has an idea of what the right thing is oftentimes. Yeah. Um, everyone has an opinion, right? And that's okay. Uh, but perspective helps you gather those opinions, get obviously a variety of perspectives so that you can identify what works for you. And I think that's mm-hmm. really where we've uh, kind of gone wrong with uh, how we've been taught to think in a way, right? We've yeah. we've grown up in 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 a world where kids and us as kids, when we were kids, were told here are the things you learn, and here's what you learn about those things. Right. Uh, and it's very much from a perspective, and usually only one perspective. So it doesn't allow the opportunity for us to discuss what are the other opinions out there, and why are those the opinions, and how did things get to the way they are, and mm-hmm. now how do I, with all the information I have, and with my own understanding from within, and with my own gut instinct, uh, what are the things that I align with and want to dig deeper, mm-hmm. uh, and go deeper towards? So I think perspective is really helpful, um, and also just building relationships with people. Uh, speed partner also really embedded this in me, honestly, is, you know, he would talk to anyone, uh, regardless of their profession, regardless of how they look, he just talks to everyone. Mm-hmm. I love that. Story and he wants to just talk and, you know, make jokes. And yeah. he's, he's gotten this gift of just having people open up to him and tell him their stories. And more often than not, I've found uh, it comes from, you know, what you just mentioned, a life of um, bad experiences. Mm-hmm. That they really try to escape. Um, but unfortunately, their environment and the level of access we have to resources just isn't there yet to truly be able to escape those environments, right? So I've talked to so many mothers that, uh, you know, had to escape abusive uh, relationships and they would go out to seek help and, you know, wouldn't get that help. And then they would find out, let's say they're pregnant. Um, The only way you could get support is if you show you live in a home and can care for the child. So for the children, they're forced to go back into that home, live in that abusive relationship just so they can get support. 
support financially. Right. And these things are happening all the time where we essentially allow the circle of abuse, the circle of bad situations to continue. We actually contribute to that because of the way our policies are set up. Right. Uh, we refuse to just take a minute and look under the hood instead of, um, you know, just judging the cover and making people live to the ideals we've set as a society as the only way to flourish. You must, you can only flourish if you live in a two parent home and have a roof over your head. X, right. Y, and Z. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. It, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that's the way our society is set up. And, and I think, you know, unfortunately, during this time, you know, during this pandemic, it's really shining on light on everything that has been broken for so long, you know, and I feel like my personal thing is that I think corporations can play a big part of solving those issues. Um, you know, sure, government as well. But if government can't step in, I feel like corporations should be the ones to provide um, the fundings and support that people in need um, need to thrive. To thrive. I think it's it's more complex than that. I think it's this relationship we've built between corporations and people, between employers and employees, is inherently flawed. And the reason why I say that is if you logically think about what's what's really happened, right? Millions of people have lost their livelihood overnight. Right. And the reason why they've lost it is yes, there was an environmental issue that that hit us globally, but these corporations, uh, and as a business owner myself, I, I understand as a business the choices we have to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these corporations are being told that in order to survive, and there's many corporations and businesses that do good work for the world, Mm -hmm. but in order to continue to do that work, you have to make sure you have enough money in the bank to be able to, you know, wait this out, right? Right. Um, A lot of startups, for example, that do good, uh, we are told that, you know, the in, in the fundraising landscape is going to be impacted significantly. And, and we have to just kind of be self-sufficient and not rely on any sort of uh, external, you know, source, which is, which is fun. But what that means is, yeah, there's a lot of companies that are laying people off. There's a lot of companies that are saying, look, we've got to do what's right for this mission. And, and we won't survive. We can pay your bills for what, six months, seven months, then the whole business dies. Um, because, you know, that's just how it is on the business end. So all that to say, mm-hmm. I think this employer-employee relationship is inherently flawed because people rely, people have to rely on one source for their income, mm-hmm. for their livelihood. And so I see a lot of people, of course, you know, we talk about corporations should have better health benefits and should do X, Y, and Z. I would rather that people get paid enough to be able to rely on themselves, to be self-sufficient, to cover those costs for themselves, because then they don't have to rely on an institution. I mean, we have more problems with how expensive health insurance and all these things are. That's a separate conversation. But the essence that I'm trying to get to is how do we as a society move towards greater Mm self-reliance and greater resilience and greater leverage as a whole? How does one person have multiple sources of income and they can freelance and live a lifestyle that serves them and serves the people around them um, without 
being part of this traditional employer employee relationship. Yeah, I, I, I see your point on that for sure. And I, and I do think that a lot of people probably would prefer an increase in income um, and be able to support themselves outside of a corporation. Um, especially now with so many people losing their jobs and obviously losing your job means that you lose your health insurance unless you can afford to pay for COBRA, um, which is pretty expensive. Um, but I think, you know, yeah, I mean, we could probably talk about this for hours, but it's, it's such a huge issue that it needs a complete overall of how we do business, um, in this country and it starts at the top and then it's, you know, then it goes to corporations and, and just kind of even to the way we think about our society and our capitalism and everything. So, yeah, I think it starts everywhere. Um, yeah, I don't, for sure. Yeah. I don't think we can just rely on it starting at the top. Right. I think something that I care deeply about is just help inspiring people to think for themselves. I think so much of and this is coming from a personal recognition of, wow, so much of what I believe in is influenced by very specific sources that I didn't even realize were the sources. So for example, mm-hmm. news publications, right? I Certain publications I've always felt uh, were credible, but when you go behind the scenes and look at who they're owned by and what their agendas are, you recognize, wow, you only get sound bites of a lot of the things that they... Um, put out because they're just trying to make a point and they're trying to inflict their opinion and their agenda onto your way of thinking. So it really comes down to, again, perspective. Cool. Okay. That's one perspective, but that doesn't mean that is what you believe in and develop conviction in and move forward. It's, it's really inspiring people to take a minute and recognize why is, why do you believe the things that you believe in? Mm -hmm. Where do those beliefs come from? Do you allow with those things. And if not, or if you're just curious, let's question more. Let's start talking more. Let's, let's on an individual level, figure out what allows you to do the things that make you feel more self-reliant, right. And self-sufficient and more in control of, um, your career and your life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, I come from a mindset, I work in the digital space and, um, even working in television has never been, you know, the type of career where you can say, oh, I'm set for the rest of my life, you know. Um, but digital media is one that is constantly changing. Um, we have a lot of startups. We have a lot of businesses that do well for a couple of years and then they disappear, you know, or get bought out by, you know, a bigger company or something. So my mindset has never been to or think that I'm going to be somewhere for a long time. You know, if I tell my, even the team that I uh, manage at BuzzFeed, listen, you work in digital, you know, you can't think that this is, is going to be forever. This industry is in constant change. It's in constantly in flux to some way. So even if this year is great, not really sure what's going to happen next year. So you need to be prepared for that in your mind Um, So when the time comes, you're not surprised, you know, that, oh, we're having layoffs or, oh, we got bought or something like that, because that happens. So you need to be prepared. You need to have, you know, make sure that your um, your skills are up to par and that you are having conversations um, to sort of 
think about the future, the future of what you want your life to be, you know, and a lot of people sometimes I think won't give themselves that, that opportunity to think about what if, you know, um, and I get everybody, you know, it's like, oh, we have to stay in a positive mindset, you know, but I found that if you think what if you, there's a space that you can go in your mind that you've prepared for something always, in case something happens. I always, yeah, I agree. I always love to say, obviously this is a, a popular quote that I'm not taking away for. Um, it's, you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Yes. And that is something my partner and I live by. I mean, honestly, with even COVID, right? We are fortunate to have a network that is very in tune, that is hyper aware. We dig deep into research. We dig deep into what's happening in the world globally, not just in our country. And, you know, we went into quarantine uh, in February, like mid-February before any city went down in quarantine Mm, uh, in, 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 in America. And it's because we saw what the numbers were saying and we were, uh, you know, we were hoping for the best. We didn't know obviously what would happen, but we knew what could happen. Right. we're hoping for the best, preparing for the worst. Um, you know, we had our survival kit uh, packed up. I still have a ton of, you know, random quarantine food yeah. uh, in our closets. But I believe it was almost, I think it was right after Valentine's Day, like that 16th, we went into quarantine. And LA went into quarantine or shelter in place, I think March 15th or so, almost yeah. a month later. Wow. So, and I remember my brother, who's a doctor, I had called him uh, when we started going to quarantine. I, I was supposed to visit him and my family and, you know, we, we chose not to fly. We chose to kind of just shelter in place. And yeah. I had called him and he had said, look, like, it's good to be cautious, but don't freak out. And this is coming from, you know, a healthcare professional. Right. And then a month later, oh, actually three, like two to three weeks later, he calls me and he's like, you know, Shereen, I was reflecting on that call we had and, yeah. and didn't expect how bad this could get you and your partner you guys are always thinking um you know in that way um it's very inspiring I love it um I I think I will adopt some of that (laughs) well Trish it's been wonderful having you thank you so much for sharing your background um your opinions along the way it's it's such a pleasure Yes. Well, I appreciate you having me on your podcast. This was super fun. And I love talking with you. You're wildly intelligent. Um, I am just always just learning so much when I talk with you. So thank you for this opportunity. Of course. No, same goes for you. Now, how can our listeners find you? Um, What's how can they keep track of what's going on? Well, obviously I'm on LinkedIn under uh, <laughs> Trish Lindo. Um, I'm also on social media. Um, I'm very easy to find. Uh, Trish Lindo style. Um, I have an Instagram account, Pinterest. Um, I love fashion. I love positivity. And um, yeah, those are my platforms. So yeah, check me out if you can. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course.